Well, turn in your Bibles with me today, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and we'll be finishing up the chapter, Lord willing, today. There's a lot to say before we move into chapter 6, but Hebrews chapter 5, and we're looking at the last two verses in particular, but I want to begin by reading verses 11 through 14, the last Four verses of Hebrews chapter 5. There the apostle there is speaking about Melchizedek, and he wants to be able to go on and to teach them things about Melchizedek. And he makes this accusation there in verse 11, and then backs it up in the next couple of verses there, the accusation that he makes. Beginning at verse 11, he says of Melchizedek, it says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask that you take these few precious moments that we have, and Lord, may they reap an eternal benefit in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Dull of hearing. We talked about this last week. These people were dull of hearing. They had become dull of hearing. The apostle is speaking to believers. These are not unbelievers. But they have become dull of hearing. And he goes on and gives the basis for his accusation in verses 12 through 14. Enough time had passed. Enough time had passed that they should have been teachers. They should have been at the point of their spiritual lives that they were able to instruct others. But the fact was, at this particular time, they had become such as had need of milk. Their necessary diet was milk. They could not handle solid food. The diet that you require indicates a great deal about your spiritual maturity. So we've looked at this passage, but today we're going to turn and really internalize it. I want you to be able to take it home with you. I want you to be able to ask yourself, where do I fit? And every one of us, each one of us, we need to ask ourselves, at what point are we in our spiritual life? What does your diet require? And the diet you require indicates a great deal about your spiritual maturity. And in the very next chapter, that is going to be the theme in the beginning of the chapter. He has had to leave off what he's teaching. He's taking this side road here for a a chapter or so to speak with them about growing up, about being mature. They could not handle solid food, but they were true believers, and we've addressed that. So here, 
Verse 13, everyone that useth, or that word requires, their diet requires milk, is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And obviously the apostle is using a physiological illustration that every one of us could understand. Uh, The necessity of milk. Who needs milk? Well, babies need milk. Their digestive systems are just, you know, freshly minted. They're just born. They can't handle strong meat. They can't handle solid food. They don't have the teeth for it. They don't have the digestive tract for it. Have you ever, um, as an adult, sometimes we come to those points in time. I remember once when I was going through a lot of my health issues that I I went without eating food for at least two weeks. It was two weeks. And the doctor said, you know, when you start back to eating, please just start with chicken broth or something very simple. Do not just go out, and I know you're going to be hungry, don't go out and just have a steak. You're going to make yourself sick and ease back in. But here, the need for milk, the necessity of milk. Who needs milk? Babies need milk. And what, what do we find? In, what are the characteristics of milk? Well, milk is easy to digest. It has all the basic ingredients for a baby. A lot of it's high in fat. It helps them progress and grow and mature. But it's easy to digest. They don't have to chew it. You know, they don't have to cut it up. It just flows down right into their stomach and is easy to digest. It's simple food. Very simple. Fat, some carbohydrates, protein, and the body digests it, and the baby is able to grow. And for a time... The little baby just needs milk. But the spiritual, you know, there's the physiological illustration. But the spiritual application that the apostle is making here is, you know, note here, these people had need of milk. What is needing milk? If milk is a necessity, then we know something about the age of the recipient. It's a baby. The need of milk. Need or having need of milk. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, <clears throat> the scripture says there, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. For the pure milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Newborn babes need, require, desire milk. Our little Josiah is just getting some of his back teeth are starting to come in. And so, boy, is he, you know, you can't... You, you can't just give him milk. He's got to have more. And him and he's last night we were having some hamburgers, and he was eating it. I'm like, oh, this is neat. He's getting to that stage where he and I can go out for a Big Mac. It's going to be great, uh, you know. But here he he's he's starting to handle solid food. But you got to be careful. I mean, just yesterday he was crying. One of the kids was like, he was looking at him. Why is he crying? And I looked at him, and I immediately, well, he's choking. And I went and grabbed him, and you know, he had part of a peanut butter jelly sandwich in his mouth, and part of a peanut butter jelly sandwich. Sandwich in the back of his throat, and I'm sure part of one halfway down. I mean, you know, kids just just keep cramming it in there, and there he was choking. So I cleared it out, and he was okay. But you know, 
Little kids can choke on solid food. There's a gradual progression here. The necessity of milk. What is milk? We're talking about milk here in the scripture, and this is what the apostle is using as as his illustration. Everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word. What is milk? Well, chapter 5 and verse 12 helps us to understand what milk is. He says here, for when the time ought to be, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. The very basics. Here it is. What is milk? What is milk for the spiritual baby? It's the basics. The basics of the word of God. The first or the elementary principles. In chapter 6, he goes on in verse 1 and says, Therefore, leaving the principles or these basic rudimentary principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection. That word perfection means maturity. Let's go on. Let's not just stay here at the basics, these elementary principles. Let's move on. If you're a Christian, he says, you, you folks have been saved long enough. You ought to be teachers. Let's be moving on. In particular, these people who are speaking about the elementary teaching about Christ, about the Messiah. That's the word, the title. Christ means Messiah. It's not Jesus' last name. It's a title concerning his role. It's the Messiah. The elementary teaching about Christ. And this is what, was, this, it was the ba- this is what the basics were for these people. They were needing to be retaught basic, fundamental spiritual truths. Well, what are the basics of the Christian faith? Talk about the basics. Salvation. Do you understand the basics of the Christian faith? And not only that, can you explain it to someone else? Can you explain the basics of the Christian faith to someone else? What are the basics of the Christian faith? Well, you know, back in in the day, in the 1500s and the reformers, the reformers taught, and they were teaching the five basics, the five solas, five basics. It was sola scriptura. What? What's that mean? That all we need for life and godliness, was what Peter said, is God's word. We don't need the philosophies of man. We need God's word. That's the rule and the standard for our daily life. There was sola scriptura. There was also sola gratia. Only by grace. We're saved by grace alone. Sola fide. By faith alone. Sola Christos. By Christ alone. And then sola Deo Gloria. Gloria, To the glory of God alone. And these were the basic tenets of the faith. We talk about assurance of salvation. There's one of the basics of the faith. Do you know... Do you know that you're saved? John and Charles Wesley came over to America. They were struggling with the very issue of assurance of salvation. Could they lose their salvation? Do you understand what the scripture says about the assurance of salvation? Can you teach someone else what does the scripture say about the assurance of your salvation? Folks, that's a basic. That's one of the fundamental basics of the Christian faith. How about the inspiration of scriptures? It's God's word. It's God-breathed. 
Can you go to the scriptures and show someone else why you believe that God's word is the truth? Folks, these are the basics. This is the milk of the word. The existence of God. All of these different issues here that are really the basics of our Christian faith. Needing milk. These people were unskillful in the word of righteousness. They needed milk. They had become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat or not of solid food. You know, today, today, when I think about that, you think about what is milk? Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, We'll be looking at a few different passages today, but in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul is here giving instruction to Timothy. He's telling him to preach the word, to be faithful, to be instant in season, out of season. He says in verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They're not going to endure solid food. They will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, after their own desires, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And it's not the teachers who have the itching ears. They're going to heap to themselves teachers that will scratch their ears, that will make them feel good. Uh, A man-centered gospel as opposed to God-centered truth. They want to hear pleasing platitudes, things that will make them feel good. And you know, there are plenty of churches you can go to today on any given Sunday where you can go and hear a message that will make you feel good. That will tell you all the good things about you and all that you can hope for. And if you'll just have enough faith, your dreams will come true. And there are crowds that follow that kind of stuff. What is needing milk? Needing milk. Again, milk, the basic Christian virtues, such as what the Bible teaches about loving one another, about daily reading and meditating on Scripture, about the basic habit of showing up for church. Folks, what does the Scripture say about that? Paul, talk, The Apostle talks about it here in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. He says, but so much the more coming together as you see the day approaching. Folks, that's, the, that's just basic milk. And of course, the purpose of milk. What is the purpose of milk? Now, we're all blessed by the truth of the milk of the word. Certainly, it's great to hear someone teach about, you know, being faithful in your Bible reading, loving one another in these truths. These are great truths, and we love to hear them. But that's not our steady diet. The purpose of milk is for those who are not accustomed or not acquainted with the truth or the word of righteousness. Look what he says in verse 13. Everyone that requires, that word uses, talking about requiring, everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of of righteousness. What the word of righteousness is God's word. 
Everyone that useth milk is unskilled or unaccustomed. There's another translation use the word unaccustomed, unacquainted with, unable to assimilate, to use the word of righteousness. Milk is the necessity for these people. We're not saying they're unacquainted with facts. Certainly, these are people who will open their Bibles, come to church. They've maybe people who've grown up in Christian homes who've heard the facts. They know the facts. It's not that they're unacquainted with facts, but they're unable to understand what to do with those facts. It's a lack of understanding the personal relevance of the truth. How does it bear upon my life? How do I live this truth? The apostle here in Hebrews is going to be talking about about Melchizedek as a type of Christ and how it affects the way we live. And a person who is who is requiring milk, is going to say, Melchizedek, Christ? What's the connection? I don't get it. How does that affect me? Okay, I, I know he was a priest in the Old Testament. Abraham paid him tithes. And then the author of Hebrews talks about him, and I don't get it. I don't know what it means. Folks, that's requiring milk. The author here wants to go on and teach them these doctrines, but he says, you can't understand that you are difficult to teach because at this time in your Christian walk, you have become such as have need of milk. You are unacquainted with, you're unaccustomed to the word of righteousness. And meat, or the milk, the purpose of milk is for those who would choke on solid food. And you know what? There are many Christians who choke on doctrine. They choke on solid food. Peter talks about them in 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16, listen to what he says. He's talking about what Paul had written. And in verse 16, he says, As also in all his epistles, all Paul's epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest or twist, misinterpret. They rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Who are these people? Who is Peter referring to? He's referring to babes in Christ. He's referring to people who have need of milk. They can't handle solid food. They're choking on it. And here they are trying to understand what Paul was teaching, and they haven't come to that point yet. They need milk. And when they read what Paul has said, they're untaught, they're unlearned, and they are unstable, and they twist and misinterpret these scriptures to their own destruction. Listen, if we don't live in a day where this is true, I don't know what it is. We live in a day where many Christians sit there and you listen to the interpretations, you listen to their justification for their lifestyle, and they take the scriptures and say, well, God didn't say I couldn't do it, or I have liberty to do this, that, and the other. And you look at them and you think, what in the world? (laughs) Where did you get that? They're unlearned, they're untaught, and they twist the scriptures, and they use the scriptures as a cloak of maliciousness or a cover for their sin. 
So what's the personal indication? There's the, we see the physiological, physiological illustration of milk. There's a spiritual application. What's the personal indication? Milk indicates spiritual immaturity. Now, not just milk, but the necessity of it. The necessity. If you need milk, it indicates, if your diet is that of milk, it indicates spiritual immaturity. Now, spiritual immaturity is not a bad thing, necessarily. Spiritual infancy is expected. When someone comes to Christ, the Bible says they're a what? They're a babe in Christ. They need milk. So there's nothing wrong with milk. There's nothing wrong with needing milk necessarily. And spiritual infancy is expected. What happen, What do spiritual infants do? I remember my, my dad saying, as first thing in the ministry, he goes, you're going to, listen, people are going to burp on you. They're going to spit up on you. And he was using, of course, the illustration of a baby. He goes, but you need to love them. They're going to make a mess. But you need to love them. What does spiritual infancy look like? Well, obviously, it talks about ignorance. Un, being untaught. Inexperience. The great danger of not being able to discern between truth and error. And, of course, he mentions that in verse 14 as a mark of maturity. Being able to discern between good and evil. A person who is a babe in Christ is not discerning. Discerning false, er- false doctrine and error. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, we have the illustration. He goes back to creation. He talks about Adam and Eve. What happened to Eve? Eve did not have discernment. Adam did. Eve was was deceived. Adam was not deceived. He deliberately disobeyed. He was wrong. But Eve was deceived. She did not discern. She didn't know who was talking to her. And she was deceived. Adam was not deceived. What does spiritual infancy look like? Well, self-focus. person who's all about being served rather than serving. A person whose religion is more experientially based, man-centered, emotionally driven. It's characterized by an accumulation of facts without application. You know, there's a great illustration back in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 17, There's this big old giant, and his name is Goliath. He's threatening Israel. And along comes David. You know the story of David and Goliath. But there's one little spot here that is going to illustrate this point. David's in there talking to Saul, and uh, Saul says, What are you talking about going and fighting this Philistine? And David said, Well, you know, I've killed a lion and a bear, and... God will deliver this guy into my hands. And Saul says, well, now listen. He says, let me help you out. And so what does Saul do? He says, here, let me give you my armor. You just can't go out there in your, you know, 
whatever they wore. You know, the Bible picture books, you know, they'll show you there the little sheepskin or something with the belt, little tunic. Yeah, I'm sure that's what they wore because the pictures show it, right? And so here's David. He's got on this little bear skin or whatever he got. Maybe it was the skin from the lion, but it's also, you can't go out there like that. Let me give you something to help you. And so in 1 Samuel 17, verse 38, Saul arms David with his armor and he put a helmet of brass on his head. Also, he armed with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor and he essayed or tried to go. And he took three steps and the armor still hadn't moved. I mean, there was. He was in this armor. It, it, it didn't fit. And he essayed to go for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I can't go with these for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. What did that passage tell us? Uh, David was not accustomed to fighting in armor. He wasn't used to it. He didn't know how it worked. He had gone out there and, you know, fallen over. How do I get up if I fall over? This weighs a lot. of You know, he said, I've not proved this. I can't use this. I am unaccustomed to armor. I need to use what I've got. So he went out there with what? His sling. And he had proved that. Definitely he was skilled in that. He was not a novice with the sling. But with the armor? No. Yeah. Would it have protected him? It, armor did a great job of protecting but if you'd never used it, you shouldn't go wear it to battle. This is what spiritual infancy looks like. Now, we don't usually... Christian bookstores are kind of a thing of the past just about... Everybody does their shopping online, you know. But, you know, when you go into Christian bookstores, what do you see? You see a lot, a lot of good, rich, doctrinal books that will really teach you the, you know, the meat of the word. No. 99% of the Christian bookstores, except for the Bibles and maybe a few books on a dusty shelf in the back, are all fluff. All about you living your best life now having all that you want now. And, you know, just how you can have your dreams if you just have enough faith and you can be healed and all these other things. And, you know, all the chapters have to start with an exciting story to captivate the attention of the person who's looking for entertainment and excitement. These are books with, you know, big print and pictures. You know, a lot of fluff. And the need for entertainment, again, we live in a day where people are gathering to themselves teachers that will scratch their ears, that will tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. Here, the personal indication, we're talking about immaturity, spiritual immaturity. Listen, spiritual infancy is to be expected, but it should be temporary. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 10 and 11. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 10 and 11. He's talking about that which is perfect is come. When it, when it comes, then that which is in part shall be done away. In verse 11, he says, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. If I might add in there, I... Eight. My diet was the diet of a baby. I ate as a child. I required milk. But look what he says. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. 
Childhood is superseded by adulthood. There's nothing wrong with spiritual infancy. Everyone starts there, but there's a problem of staying there. Spiritual infancy should be temporary, and this is what the apostle was rebuking these believers for. He says, listen, for the time being, you ought to be teachers. But you are back in a position of just needing milk, requiring milk. Your diet is indicative of your spiritual maturity. But let's go on. In verse 14, he says, but strong meat. Now, I think probably a better, better translation for us would be solid food. When I think of strong meat, I think of a totally overcooked steak. <laughs> you try to cut it, and you chew it, and you chew it for five minutes. But while you're chewing that first bite, the rest of the steak goes cold because it is just so tough. I, listen, the older I get, the more rare I like my meat. Just bring it mooing next to the table. Anyway, but, you know, tough, tough meat. You just chew and you chew and you chew. And even with teeth, you almost choke because it's just so hard. Well, he's talking about solid food. So when you think of strong meat, don't think of the tough steak. Um, Solid food here belongeth to them that are of full age belongs to those who are mature, those who can handle it, those who have teeth. A diet of meat, and of course the physiological illustration, the necessity of meat. Listen, meat is needed. I don't care what the vegans tell you. You need meat. You cannot, can't get all that protein from a piece of iceberg lettuce. It's just not there. And, uh, you know, there's protein in meat, and that's why we eat it. We need the nourishment. And you'll notice, of course, if you have little children, if you've had little children, as, as they get to a certain stage, you, you find out that they're, they're fussy when they go to bed. And, well, I gave them a bottle of, milk, bottle of milk, but they're still fussy. And, well, you know why? It's because they're starting to need more. And so you get that lovely, mushy food, you know, the, the um, oatmeal, and you mix it with mashed bananas, or you mix it with just slime and just, you know, all ground up. But... Oh, but you give it to them, and you give them a full belly, and they lay down and go to sleep, and oh, they're calm. And we're at that stage with this guy. He want, he, He's going to eat me out of house and home, regardless of the other ten. And here he, he wants more and more food, and I'm like, he needs more food. I can tell he needs more food. Give him some more food. Give him some more food. And finally get to the point where, ah, he wants down from the table. Or he wants off your lap. He wants to go play because he's satisfied. He needs solid food. The necessity of meat. Meat is necessary for mature people. Think about the characteristics of meat. It has to be chewed. Now, you watch the lion, or you watch a dog. You ever feed a dog meat? And you look at him and think, wait a minute. Did you chew that? I mean, just, and it's gone. You're like, wow. How did you do that? Yeah. But here, you know, we as humans, the way we're made, you just don't take a big old chunk of ham and swallow it. I mean, you're, you'll choke to death. But you've got to chew it. Of course, that's the, the, the beginning process of digestion is there in the mouth where it just tears up the food into smaller, you know, smaller bits and it passes down through the esophagus into the, you know, into the stomach and on through the digestive tract and our bodies take the nourishment that we want from the food that we eat. And meat is packed with protein. The spiritual application here. What is it? What is a diet of meat? 
We're talking about solid food. What is the apostle referring to when he's, he's talked about milk? He's talking about the rudimentary basics of the Christian faith. Well, now we're talking about meat or solid food. What is the solid food of the scripture? What does it look like? For these people, where he got off track right here was he was talking about more advanced teaching concerning the Messiah. For example, the Melchizedekian high priesthood of Christ. He's getting ready to explain that, and he pauses to address their immaturity. He goes on in this book talking about the typology of the tabernacle and how the, 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 the tabernacle points and is an allusion to Christ and the tabernacle in heaven. He talks about these things, and th- I mean, this, is, this is stronger meat. This is solid food. He goes on in this book. He'll be talking about the new covenant and its replacement of the old covenant. And the rich teachings of Scripture, which don't make any sense to those who just need milk. In fact, when they read those things, they, they don't interpret them correctly, don't understand them, and as Peter says, they can twist these things to their own destruction because they're unstable and unlearned, untaught. A diet of meat is a diet that seeks for God-centeredness. You know, you think of the Lord's Prayer. You ever think about the first three points of the Lord's Prayer? Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before we even start asking for our daily bread and before we even start asking, you know, for... You know, forgive us our trespasses. What is, the, what is the focus there even of the Lord's Prayer? It's Godward. It's God-centered. It's His name. It's His will. It's His kingdom. Listen, this is a person that's mature, a person whose diet is solid food, whose focus is God-centered, not self-centered. And of course, going on to the finer points of Christian virtue. And even Peter talks about that progression there in 2 Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 5, he's talking about you've, you who have escaped the corruption of the world through lust. You've, you've been saved, he says, go on. He says, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience or endurance, and to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness charity or love. For if these things be in you and abound... They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is maturity. What's the purpose of meat? The purpose of meat is for growth and strength. There's a spiritual application. Let's talk about the personal indication. We're talking about maturity. The person whose diet requires milk is spiritually immature. The person whose diet is characterized by solid food or the meat of the word, this is indicative of spiritual maturity. What does spiritual maturity look like? Listen, spiritual maturity is absolutely needful. It's necessary. Look at 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, there's a contrast made In between chapter 2 and chapter 3, I want you to see two different verses here to see a contrast based on maturity. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6, Paul says, How be it, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Now, he's not talking about people that weren't ever going to sin again. He's talking about people that were mature, adults. How be it, we speak wisdom among them that are mature, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God. In a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. But then in the very next chapter, he addresses them and says in chapters, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk. And it was out of necessity, he says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. I can't feed you with milk, you'll choke. I have to keep feeding you with milk. You are requiring milk, you haven't grown. And, and, then, we, and then he goes on and describes their activity and how they're, they're acting like carnal people, acting, really behaving like unbelievers, with the divisions and the strife. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and 20, later on in that book, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20, he says, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Don't be immature in your understanding of spiritual things. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Grow up. Be mature. Be mature. Spiritual maturity. The Bible talk, that uses that word often, the, the word perfect. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, where Jesus says, Be therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect being complete, being mature. In Colossians 1 and verse 28, Colossians chapter 1 verse 28, it says, he was, he's pre Paul is preaching, he says, speaking of God, he says, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. He says, we want to present you mature in Christ Jesus. Spiritual maturity is necessary, but where does it come from? How do you get spiritually mature? How do you, how do you grow up? Well, you know, it, in the physical world, you, you grow by taking in that meat and then taking in more solid food, taking in greater quantities of food. There's a limit, folks. But taking in more and more food, and you grow, and you grow, and then if you stop growing this way and you keep taking the food, you'll grow this way. But you, know, listen, you can't be obese spiritually, thank the Lord. Um, there's no lack of, or we need more and more solid food. We can't get enough. But here, spiritual maturity comes from practice or from application of the truth, the assimilation of the solid food. When you take in solid food, what does your body do? Your body, as that food is going through the digestive tract, the body says, we need this. 
They take it out. They, they remove whatever it needs from the solid food. It's taking nutrients into the body and building up the cells, building up the muscle tissue, building up bone tissue, building the body. And that's how we grow physically. And spiritual maturity, he says here in Hebrews chapter 5, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who, what? By reason of use. Use. By reason of use, practice. Putting the scripture to work. Living it out. You know, if you eat food and your body doesn't digest it and it goes straight through you, what happens? You are not going to grow. What happens when we're sick? Often we lose weight. We lose weight because we can't, our, our bodies are sick. They're not working properly. We can't take in the nourishment that we need, and so we, we diminish. Sometimes it's a great way to go on a diet. if You can just maintain after the sickness, right? But I remember when I was having my issues with my uh, large intestine. And uh, that's a kind of important part of the digestive tract, but... You know, mine's gone. And boy, did I lose weight. To the tune of like 50 pounds. You know, a crash diet. Man, that, that took it right off me. And it wasn't, it wasn't a good thing. And I became in need of milk. <laughs> I sure did, physically. But here, spiritual maturity comes from practice and application of the truth. And here these people... Those who are of full age, those who can handle the solid food, the, star, the teaching of Scripture, are those that are of full age, even those who, by reason of use or practice, have their senses exercised, exercised or trained to discern both good and evil. Developing perception. A person who grows and matures and is using and obeying the word of God, following the scripture, growing, desiring the sincere milk of the word, but going on, applying it to their lives. They develop what? They develop perception. And they are able to discern between good and evil, between that which is profitable for their spiritual life and that which is unprofitable. They can discern between true and false doctrine. An orchestra is a great illustration. You know, in an orchestra, maturity is not just knowing how to play your instrument. Now, here's the trumpet player, and boy, he is good. He is really good at his instrument. And the orchestra starts up, and all you hear is this, this trumpet. I mean, he's playing scales, virtuoso, arpeggios. He's going all over the place, but it doesn't match what the orchestra's playing. Yeah, he knows his instrument, but something's not right. Maturity is not just each individual knowing his own instrument, but also knowing how his instrument fits within the context of the whole orchestra, within the context of the symphony that they're playing, the piece of music. And there's the mature, the, the professional musician. In fact, they can be given more difficult music. Because not only do they know how to play their own instrument, they know how their instrument actually functions within the context of the whole body of the orchestra. And not only that, guess what they can do? They can teach 
others. Hey, you want a good teacher for your instrument? Go to the orchestra. There's a person that's not only mastered his instrument, but he also knows how to play it in context of the whole. Ah, that's a great analogy to what the apostle is speaking about here. How many of you ever played in junior high band? Anybody? Oh, I'm glad those days are over. Needing milk. They need glue. Just glue the instrument shut. You know, stop making that noise. You got, you got the, over here on the, the burping bed poster, that bassoon thing, and you got the clarinet, and the clarinet, that's just kindling. You can't, you know, it takes a pro to play clarinet in tune. And a French horn? There's only a couple people in the world who could do it right. Okay, now, these are difficult things. Mature, mature musicians not only know how to play their instrument, but they know how they fit in the context of the body. And you know what this goes right along with? If you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, we have Paul talking about this exact very thing. Ephesians chapter 4. He's talking about how God has equipped everybody in the orchestra with a different instrument. Really? Well, I'm using an analogy. He has gifted people. He's given gifts. And why? Verse 12 says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the whole orchestra, the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look at verses 14 through 16. He says, That we henceforth be no more children tossed, to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness where they lie, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. That's the immature believer. That's the person who has ne- milk as their necessary food. They can't discern between truth and error. This is the junior high band. They sound horrible. It says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And look at the beautiful picture. It points here. He says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. You think about every instrument supplying their part to the whole of the orchestra. According to the effectual working in the measure of every individual part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That's, that, that just has a symphonic sound, doesn't it? You just get picture the orchestral beauty of that verse. It's all functioning together perfect. All the music in balance, the cellos and the second violins. Oh, here the trombones. God bless the trombones. You know, the percussion, the bass, everything together in perfect balance, bringing glory. And the audience sitting there in rapt attention. Ah, the beautiful music of a symphony. And that's a picture here of what he's talking about. But it takes maturity. We don't put third-grade trumpet players in the city orchestra. No one would pay to come and hear them play. Now, where are you? Where am I? What does, the, what does your diet indicate about your spiritual maturity? And listen here, spiritual maturity also deals with our spiritual affections, what we love 
what we hate, loving what God loves, hating what God hates. First Timothy chapter four again as Paul was speaking to Timothy. First Timothy four, he comes towards the middle of that chapter. He says in verse six, he says, If you put the brethren in remembrance of thing of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. He says, You've got to have the maturity. Verse 7, he says, but refuse profane and old wives' fables. Well, how do you know what an old wives' tale is? Or a fable? A story that may sound intelligent, but it's not true. But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Exercise. What does he say here? Strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use, application, living the truth that they have, obeying it, doing it God's way. Those people have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Those people develop wisdom and discernment. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. You know, what is discipline? Discipline is is simply making yourself obey. Making yourself obey. Have you ever thought, you know, I, I need to go on a diet? So I'm going to do, I'm going to eat this much, or I'm going to limit myself to this many calories a day. And what is discipline? It's at the end of the day saying, you know what? I was supposed to be on X amount of calories, and I stuck to it. Oh, it wasn't easy. Oh, I wanted that extra scoop of ice cream. Oh, I, you know, I I actually had to say no to a, a cookie. Or, you know, I had to push back from the table. But it's making yourself obey. That's what discipline is. It's saying no to fleshly desires that would deter you from your spiritual goal. And maturity is also seen in our response to chastening. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're, we're not there yet, but in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Those who are trained thereby. God uses chastening to mature us. That's part of the maturing process. And if we are trained by the chastening, then we're growing. We're maturing. Disciplining our little Josiah. Man, that kid is, he's, he's got a strong will. I thought we were going to end on an easy note. Maybe we're not done, but, uh, but here's, here's Josiah. But you tell him no? Oh, he doesn't like to hear that. He goes to pieces. Well, guess what? He needs a little discipline. He, he, he needs a little rod on the backside to understand you need to respond right when I correct you, son. When I say no, you just don't fall on the floor and cry. That's not an appropriate response to chastening. He's got to learn these things. And, and the great thing about these little tiny kids, and they learn pretty quick. 
and you can stick with it, and you see that, and you watch them developing, you watch their thinking. I mean, you, you can just see the wheels in their mind. Of course, we're on number 11, so I've seen it a few times. You know, I, I, I can see what's going on. Okay. But what a blessing to see, hey, you're starting to think. You discipline and love. And you teach and you train. And they, they get it. Amazing how quick kids get things. But they're growing. They're, that's part of maturing is how you respond to chastening. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, I went through that progression. We read that earlier. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue, you know, patience, endurance, brotherly kindness, love, and these things, they're added to. This is part of the, part of the discipline process. But spiritual maturity, it's necessary. It comes from practice and application of the truth. But let me leave you with this. Spiritual maturity must be maintained. Let me say that again. Spiritual maturity must be maintained. Note what the apostle said back here in Hebrews chapter 5. He says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are, and that is, you have become dull of hearing. They weren't always dull of hearing. They had become dull of hearing. And in verse 12, he says, you have need that you be, to be taught again the first principles of the doctrines of God. I mean, these are the basics. You need to be taught again. You've already been taught these things once. He says, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. You have become, you've regressed. There's actual regression here, spiritual regression. Listen, spiritual maturity must be maintained. We just don't, we're climbing up, we're working the discipline. Oh, ah. I got to this comfortable level of maturity and now I can kick back, set the Bible aside, church, ah, inconvenient because I'm at this level of spiritual maturity and, you know, I have to worry about sliding back. The Bible talks about a backslider. We'll deal with this in the next chapter, next week. Because this is the topic he goes right into, into one of the most questioned, bothersome, some of the strongest language in all of Scripture in the very next chapter coming up. Spiritual maturity must be maintained. In Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, Paul says this, he says, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent. There's that discernment. That ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Paul says, I'm not content. You shouldn't be either. I want you to grow and to keep growing, keep abounding in these things. Spiritual maturity must be maintained. Listen, you're either going up or you're going backwards. You don't just sit on a plateau. There are no spiritual plateaus, folks. There aren't. You're either going up or going down. You're either progressing or you're regressing. You say, well, I'm just, I'm, I'm just stopped for a while. No, that's regressing. 
saw a little video of a squirrel trying to climb a pole to the bird feeder, except they had greased the pole. And that squirrel man, he was working. And as fast as he could go, and he was inching. He was inching up the pole. But guess what happened? He got tired. And he stopped struggling. And he didn't just stay put. He went all the way back down to the ground. It was kind of funny to watch. I thought, you know, as long as he was struggling, he was progressing. But he ran out of energy, the poor squirrel. Never got to the bird feeder. Never got the seeds. What's that got to do with this? Well, I'm just saying, you don't just stop. We don't hang out on a spiritual plateau, kick back and take it easy and say, all right, I take I'm going to take it easy for now. I can set my Bible aside. I've, I've attained a level of spirituality at which I am comfortable. And I know God is pleased. That doesn't happen. You're either progressing or you're regressing. Spiritual maturity must be maintained in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, as many as be mature, be thus minded. Well, what is thus minded? Well, what did he just say? Let me tell you what he just said. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have arrived. I count my, not myself to have, to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press. That's a continual verb. I am pressing. I am continually pressing on. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are spiritually mature, be thus minded. Don't stop. Press on. Don't quit. Don't ever quit. Keep going. That is a mark of maturity. If you do not, you will regress to the point of what? Needing milk again. Unfruitful. Unable to teach others. And finally, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17. There where he had just talked about those who are unlearned and unstable, twisting the scriptures to their own destruction. In verse 17 he says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. That's regression. Do not fall from your own steadfastness. Keep going. Keep going. Don't be led astray. Don't be turned aside. You know these things. And of course, what is Peter doing? Peter knows he's going to die. He says, I've already told you these things, but I'm going to remind you of them again. And I'm going to put them in writing so you can see them over and over. And you need to be reminded of these things. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, you already know these things, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. And then he ends his second epistle saying, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow. Continue to grow. Keep on growing. Grow in grace. What does your spiritual diet reveal about you? Spiritual diets are indicative 
of spiritual maturity. Do you require milk? Do you have to have the uh, entertainment? Do you have to have the emotion? Are, are you led by the emotions? Do you have to have that emotional appeal to get you to do anything spiritual? I'm not saying emotions are bad, but they're not the engine that runs the train, folks. You know, this is not a church with a big drum set, a lot of entertainment to try to draw people in. That's not what we're about. What are we doing? What are we doing here? It's feeding on the Word of God. And listen, this is what's precious. And this ought to be precious. But if you find, it, if you find the Word of God boring... If you find it irrelevant, well, it's probably, if, it, if you're saved, it's because you are requiring milk. And milk is great for babies. But we don't want to stay there. Like I said, as we go on next week, as we go into chapter 6, we're going to look at this need for maturity. If there's anything that the church needs today, it needs mature believers. Yes, we, it's not like we throw away the milk. No, it's there, and we appreciate it. But it's not the steady diet we go on and develop discernment, discernment through use and practice, using and applying the Word of God. Listen, we're not talking about just knowing facts but how they actually apply and are lived out in our day-to-day life unto more and more godliness. I don't care how you talk. You can talk up a storm. You can talk a lot of religious jargon. That's not spiritual maturity. The world can do that. But spiritual maturity is when you take those principles and you're putting them to use and to practice. Just like David. Oh, let me show you my great armor. He says, I can't use that. I haven't practiced it. You know, we can sit there and we can present doctrine, but if you can't take it and use it and understand it, how it applies to your life, and how then you can instruct others, then you're requiring milk. Your diet is indicative of your spiritual maturity. Where are you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this instruction in your word. And Lord, each one of us, if we're not careful, we'll take this message and we'll think of someone else. Lord, may we not do that. May we apply it to ourselves. And Lord, may we desire to grow. Lord, may we, we know that you don't want us to just stagnate, Lord, to backslide. Lord, that we would be steadfast, holding firm to the faith. Lord, not just hearing the facts, but actually assimilating them, using them, applying them in our lives, and growing in our discernment. Lord, that we, as a body, and as the body of Christ, as Paul explains there in Ephesians chapter 4, that we might come together as a wonderful symphony. Lord, as a body that is functioning properly, growing, and thriving. 
So, Lord, may each of us examine ourselves. Lord, may we be in your word and be faithful to be in the word of righteousness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.